Hi, I'm Hedgeye's founder, Keith McCullough. Thanks for listening to this real conversation. If you like what you hear, you will love our investing research. We bring transparency, accountability, and actionable investing ideas to investors big and small. I'll put our investing process and team up against anyone in the world. Please visit Hedgeye.com to subscribe and learn a better way to invest. I'm Keith McCullough, and welcome to day three. And thank you uh, for all your kind compliments, uh, not not only to the Hedgeye team, which I got a ton of compliments to our to, to our Hedgeye TV team, but also to all of our guests. There's a lot uh, a lot of uh, a lot of good going on on the uh, or in the Twitter sphere, so to speak. Uh, now, one of my favorite uh, people to have on Hedgeye TV to explain the longer term cycle, in particular on things like energy. We'll talk about gold. Uh, we'll talk about how much he loves MMT. Uh, one of my uh, one of my faves, Josh Crumb. Welcome. Thanks, man. Thanks, Keith. Good to be back. Good to see you. Uh, well, last last time uh, we had you walk everyone through this. You know, and I, I'm not sure everybody was totally in sync. Uh, on on what structurally is going on in energy, carbon, et cetera, markets. Uh, but you've clearly turned out to be quite right on that. And I want to do that before we do gold. But, um, you know, we're at a spot now where I got to say I'm uncomfortable because, you know, we've been long commodities since June of 2020. Uh, this is, you know, running its course. It's now becoming consensus. All those things aren't enough to get me out. Um, if I look at all my mistakes in my career, which are manifest, uh, getting out too early can often be a big problem for me. Uh, I haven't gotten out of this stuff yet, but I need, uh, I need you to walk me through. You know, maybe give people a quick um, reminder on why you thought you know, what could happen is happening, and then um, what, what you think could happen next. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, probably the easiest thing to do is step back a little bit and talk about the market structure of commodities, uh, which I know sounds incredibly boring and, and wonky uh, first thing into an uh, investor summit. That is not boring, man. That's what we need. We need that as opposed to just getting on CNBC and saying, well, it's due to base effects in the pandemic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no. So and that's and, and that, that's where I think I, I hopefully uh, try to add some value. Yeah. Um, you know, so so when we when we think about commodities what's very different than uh, than other other you know financial assets uh, is is that generally that price you see on that on the screen uh, you know the front month price that everyone quotes you know the price of lumber the price of natural gas uh, that's not necessarily the price that, that's the price for a very specific point and location in time uh, and and generally commodities do not have an ability uh, to look through that price into the future. Right. I mean, we have forward curves and we can get into all of that structural and the, and the cyclical. Um, but but this is where so much misinformation is happening. So so we really need to break down the, the components of of, of you know, whether these prices that we're seeing uh, in commodities are cyclical um, and within cyclical. Are they transitory <laughs> or is there something structurally you know, fundamentally uh, happening that, that will ultimately drive inflation? Mm -hmm. um, and so, so when, I, when I look across the commodity spectrum, uh, you know, typically that cyclical price, again, it's not driven by any forward-looking expectations. It's really just talking about inventories. Uh, and so, so what we had, um, you know, after, you know, after, you know, such a severe dislocation in, in, you know, physical, you know, real economy markets last year is you had a lot of shut-in uh, or, or, or at least, you know, pulling back. Uh, on on production and uh, you know and, and outlooks and offtake you know demand um, 
And so we depleted inventories quite strongly. And of course, when with all of the monetary stimulus that was more than just financial assets this time, really hit the real economy more directly, you saw both a surge in demand and a very conservative ramp up in supply. So I would say most of the issues you've seen so far are actually very cyclical. And I would even, I hate to use the words, but I would say in many ways actually transitory. But we can get into more details of why I believe it's not going to be transitory going forward. Well, transitory is my least favorite word. I like trending because I ride trends. And for me, the neophyte when it comes to, I don't have a mining degree from Colorado. You do. You're going to tell me about that. You're going to tell me about the longer term structure that may or may not end the trend. That's what we call a hedge eye trend. There are trades, trends, and longer term tails. And I think you really live in that longer term tail duration, as I like to define it. But when we go from where we're at, if you say it's about inventories, so if inventories are at least partly or largely driving the price, where does CapEx and the lack thereof or future CapEx fit in terms of driving or building new inventories that can be sold? Yeah, and that's exactly the problem. I mean, this shock, particularly this energy shock in Europe that, you know, I guess anyone in the commodity space probably saw it coming, which is why so many commodity specialists have just produced phenomenal returns this year. But, you know, the mainstream narrative has been, you know, this nudging towards, you know, towards the energy transition and, you know, and renewables and, you know, you know, hydrocarbons are dead and all the rest, which really caught, you know, generally the public off guard. And so, you know, I think that the problem is, you know, if you look, you know, the fact that we're drawing and just about every, you know, every commodities inventories are drawing down globally. And yet, you know, you've never, you haven't seen a major new, you know, copper mine announcement yet this year. You know, even, you know, as late as the middle of last year, you know, I'm old enough to remember, you know, a long-term offtake agreement that was supposed to, you know, LNG cargo is supposed to go into France that got vetoed on environmental reasons because of, you know, fracking and upstream methane emissions. So for the most part, this is policy, policy driven, combined with the fact that, you know, frankly, you know, commodity producers have been very good at delivering supply and not great at return, you know, at delivering returns for their investors. So what we've seen is much more discipline. And, you know, after kind of getting, you know, you know, you know, beat on the back of the back of the hands for so long about, you know, about, you know, being dirty, you know, you just don't see these companies accelerating into, you know, into investing in what's, you know, clearly going to be needed going forward. Well, that so that that's a very concise answer on that. I mean, I think like if we explore, like if we say, OK, we got these CapEx holes due to ESG in Europe. We can say that obviously in the USA as well or partly in Canada for that matter. But what about a place like China? Mike Green yesterday said, yeah, you wouldn't be surprised if they just close it down, like shut down. And, and, and as you know, a lot of the, you, you named copper in Mongolia, maybe would be a place. Um, but, you know, where is this capacity going to come from if, if and when the China solution or resolution doesn't uh, doesn't become readily apparent and or if something like that were to happen? I don't know if you've considered that. 
Yeah, well, well, that's that's sort of what's actually happening with with the current, you know, uh, you know, what looks like, you know, could be an energy crisis in Europe. Um, and, and, and we can walk through that. But really, it all started with Chinese coal mines. Mm. Uh, so so after, you know, after the, the Chinese uh, you know, really, you know, tried to cramp, you know, uh, cut down on the corruption uh, and environmental uh, problems of, of coal mining. Um, you know, that happened at the same time that we've seen. You know, I think China's now, you know, you know, ten to fifteen percent above, uh, uh, you know, twenty nineteen in in power demand. So, so they, 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 you know, started uh, closing down coal mines uh, at the same time uh, that, you know, that, that, you know, the, the industrial or the, you know, the developed world, you know, shift more from services into real goods and real economy. Um, and as we all know, you know, almost all of those goods, you know, at some point their, their supply chain originates in China. Um, so, so, uh, so, so what's happened uh, is, is that, you know, that shortage, which is now drawing more, you know, LNG uh, demand in Asia, uh, you know, is, is sort of combined with, with low winds in Europe, uh, which, which, you know, depleted inventories uh, in natural gas in Europe. So now you've got sort of a, a pending, you know, European and uh, Asian energy crisis, uh, you know, due to, uh, you know, really Chinese policy, um, you know, at, at the very start. Um, now, you know, it's not solely to blame. There, there's, there's lots of, you know, complicated factors, but, but the key is in commodity markets, when, when, you know, when capacity, uh, utilize, utilization is high, you know, anything that goes wrong will, will, you know, end up, you know, creating a, a chain effect for the rest of the world. Yeah, I mean, so if you look at something like coal, like a lot of people miss this move. I mean, uh, you don't, uh, you rarely, and maybe now some people, I, I guess in the last week, start chasing natural gas, so they're going to get plowed on that today, finally, <laughs> now that it corrects. That happens in, in commodities, guys. Uh, but uh, like something like Arch, I'm long or Arch Coal. And what do I do with that? I'm, it's like a billion and a half market cap. It's in St. Louis, Missouri. Everyone you know, thought it was shot for dead. Like, do I do, do I stay with that, or is that going to implode? The commodity's up 35 percent in the last month alone. But again, to your point on front month, you know, w- what would you do with something like that? I've never made that much money. I'm actually, to be clear, I've never made money on coal or natural gas in my life up until this year. So I want to make sure I don't lose those gains. Yeah. So so again, you know, this this I would say is is far more more cyclical than structural. I mean, right. I think structural. You know, we we're still looking at you know hard capacity caps on coal mines. So, you know, kind of regardless of the price, you know, policy is trying to, you know, you know, trying to shut in these these mines. Um, and I think, you know, more and more, uh, you know, the, the, you know, again, while while uh, while prices were low, you know, everyone was taking shots at natural gas. Um, but I think, you know, finally, people are going to understand that, you know, we just absolutely have to have more natural gas growth. Um, but but, you know, so so what what happens, though, and this is actually what's now driving oil. Uh, is is that you get you know m- most of these energy commodities uh, at least from a from a, a power generation perspective uh, are somewhat uh, substitutable. So uh, so you know for a long time uh, we actually you know natural gas was actually a premium fuel. Um, but but as you know as technology and shale drilling you know r- really drove it drove it to be the the lowest marginal cost. You know first it took off it took out heating oil uh, then it took out coal and so we've seen the coal to gas switching you know coal was always the cheapest form of power generation and still is in very you know regional uh, regional settings but from an international perspective you know uh, natural gas became the cheapest commodity so but when you run into a shortage of natural gas then you start switching on you know back to demand for coal uh, and eventually you'll even uh, you know you'll even substitute away from uh, premium use cases in petroleum like you know transportation and service economy uh, and, and go to the you know the core fundamentals of heating and power generation 
So, so what, what we're seeing now is, is this, you know, shortage of gas, shortage of coal uh, has now, now driven uh, OPEC to increase capacity. Uh, and, and, and now you're actually going to, you know, start seeing, uh, you know, oil, uh, petroleum products uh, being, being used in, in power. So, so, you know, again, to, to answer your question, you know, I think this is all very cyclical, um, but, but, you know, this is just this year. And if we continue the, the fiscal and monetary stimuluses, uh, as, as well as the, um, you know, as well as the great energy transition capex that, that we're going to see coming through. Uh, this is going to happen year after year uh, as we head into these uh, these winter uh, cold seasons. So, so again, you know, I think the market right now is pricing this all as cyclical. Um, but I, I think by this time next year, we're gonna we're gonna realize that it's you know very much structural. Well, the, I mean, winter is coming. Clearly, this is, doesn't have to be a, a Game of Thrones. We just need to be long of trending inflation. And, and that's one reason why on every damn dip, whether it's buying arch coal or range resources on the natty gas side, that's the equity bets that you can make. But on the physical commodity market, I mean, that's where we get much higher you know, volatility type moves, particularly when you're trading options. So I want people to be very careful with that. Uh, for a long time, and, and this is a, just an open question, general question. I have just a couple more before we get to gold. You know, there aren't many guys our age or younger, you know, and, and it's not like we're, you know, father time here. Um, but there aren't many people out there, professionals, that are um, or can't even be called experts in, al- in, in alpha generation on the long side of commodities because this was an asset class that was shot for dead. So I wonder, you know, if it, one, you got the unwind of the net short positions. Natural gas was the biggest net short position in all of CFTC futures, you know, non-commercial futures and options contracts. People shot coal for dead, et cetera, et cetera. And then you just you just don't have anyone on the buy side that understands what the hell's going on. Like, I mean, at the institutional managers. What do you think about those two comments, you know, because I'm putting them together, because it's really a sediment thing as opposed to like winter, which is a seasonal thing? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree. Uh, and, and whether we're talking about policy or, or the buy side, I think we're both, you know, structurally short people that understand how commodity markets work. Uh, and, and, you know, and, 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 I, and I think, you know, that, that really, uh, you know, that really applies when you start talking about, you know, academic economists that you know, generally run our central planning. Uh, so, so uh, you know, I, I'm still just totally baffled at some of their models that are, you know, uh, auto regressive, you know, forecasts, uh, you know, based on front month prices that have nothing to do with inventories, um, you know, that, that are used in their inflation models, you know, that, that sort of thing. So, you know, I, I, I think this is this is very problematic because, again, we, we see a price on a screen uh, and, and we think, OK, this is inflation. It's going to go up forever. But what's what's very important uh, about about commodities uh, is is that um, uh, it's actually volatility that rations demand uh, yep. rather than rather than price. Yep. Um, you know, we talked about this a little bit last year, um, but you know the the, uh, the the price of of the, of the raw commodity and, and wholesale sort of the, at the beginning of the supply chain typically gets priced uh, or gets passed all the way along. Right. So so even if power prices are up significantly, um, you know, that doesn't necessarily change your overall manufacturing costs for, you know, a pair of Nikes um, uh, or, or if you look at, you know, copper in an electric car. So so the problem is to, to slow down demand and, and ration supply. Uh, you actually need parts of the supply chain to suffer. Uh, you need you need this this, uh, you know, overbuilding uh, uh, and, and destocking of, of rolling stock and inventory. And when you get very high price volatility, if they're not properly hedged, uh, these firms simply go out of business. Uh, and that that has an effect 
of slowing down aggregate demand significantly. Uh, so it's not necessarily the price function of, of commodities that matters, it's the volatility. Yeah. Um, and so what we're seeing in the volatility that's now gonna happen sort of across commodities is, is I believe you're gonna slow down aggregate demand for next year. Yeah, that is 100% with what I start with. Obviously, I have, you could forget more, Josh Crum can forget more on the way to the bathroom in Muskoka, Ontario, more than I will ever know about anything in commodities. Okay, to be clear, fundamentally, supply, demand, structural, et cetera. But I do know the vol of vol. I do know that when something on a trending basis in vol space starts to break down, and that's why I've tied coal being long coal to being long Bitcoin. It's the same thing, Josh. I don't care what it is, as you know. I will buy it if it has trending volatility undergoing a regime change. So that's the real thing that I'm looking for, like, as we come out of the winter. Like, do we start to see the, you know, what are not, um, uh, not episodic and non-trending. They're very, you know, very typical for commodity markets, which is to see a cluster of volatility break out and it remain high volatility. And people say, wow, this isn't for me. I'm not really a natural gas investor. Yeah, I mean, really, I mean, it all depends on what happens this winter, right? So, so you know, very, 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 very specifically, you know, right now, uh, the natural gas spike you're you're, you're seeing uh, is actually uh, just preparing inventories uh, for winter. Right. So, if you look at something like uh, like like European gas inventories, you know, we're probably sitting around 75% capacity when typically you're about 90% capacity, you know, going into this time of year. Uh, and the drawdowns, uh, you know, during that, you know, that peak winter, those peak winter months are typically somewhere around 50 to, you know, to 60 uh, percent. So, you know, you get down into the, you know, you typically get down into the, you know, 25, 30 percent capacity range. But, if we're, but, you know, some of the extreme winters, even, you know, three or four years ago, you know, we drew down almost 70 percent of inventories during the winter. Yeah. So if we get, a, you know, if we get a really bad winter and we're sitting at 75, you know, we're, we're going to be running out of inventories in some places. Now, to be clear, I actually don't think that's my base case. I actually, you know, back back to a comment earlier, um, you know, I, I think we've sort of, you know, hyper sensationalized a lot of this stuff. I think, you know, people are, you know, of course are, are worried. And, and there was this, you know, very, you know, you know, structural short squeeze that, that happened and, and continues to happen in natural gas. Uh, but again, I, 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 you know, even even though we've demonized the, you know, the hydrocarbon industry for so long, uh, they're actually very good at delivering supply. And this yeah. price signal really woke everybody up. So, so I, I, again, I, I think, you know, we're going to start, you know, finding that that capacity that we have left in the system uh, over the next, you know, uh, over the next little bit. And I don't believe, you know, again, like it really, it all depends on on the weather. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I don't believe we're we're going to be in those critical type uh, price spikes. Um, you know, uh, you know, come come spring. Yeah, I don't think people even know what a price spike is in natural gas. It's not. You know, I mean, clearly there's a, a relatively um, large price spike now. But guys, throw up slide 88 for people that don't know the time series, the history of natural gas. I mean, uh, on the U.S. side, I'm going to show here. It, it can go a lot higher, uh, and it can go. And that's the thing about risk, and it's the thing about the volatility of volatility, Josh. I mean, it's like in a very short period of time. Um, you know, not to not not to name names in the hedge fund community, where you've seen just epic implosions of hedge funds on 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 the wrong side of these trades. Um, you, you, it is what it is. You know, there, there's a mean reversion and reference point, and you're in a window of time that you just can't get out of. And that's 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 the exciting thing about trading commodities. If you're on the right side of it, if you're on the wrong side of it, uh, obviously uh, you can go away. Yeah, I mean, uh, for sure. And, and again, I think that's the the knowledge that's missing when we when we look at front month prices uh, of natural gas and compare it to the move in Tesla. Right? Again, they're very very different things. What, what's happening? So so I think you have to first start, you know, really try to understand the market structure uh, and also understand that 
that you know commodity traders in general and and uh, you know they're using the price signals of the forward curve, right? So so most people are actually long spreads. You know they'll they'll be you know based on inventory and supply and demand this month or over the next few months. You know they'll be you know long one contract and short the other. So they're they're actually you know very much you know trading a, a very a very specific uh, point and location and time rather than just being like, hey, I'm long natural gas. You know like the uh, or or you know the, the the magic oil fund in you know in uh, in China that you know that took you know one of the factors that took crude oil negative last year because people were just long you know not knowing you know how a super contangle works and and so forth. So so you know that that is the problem. Is we really have to understand the market structure of what what we're actually buying and selling. Yes, indeed. All right, let's flip a switch to gold. I mean, that was that was a hardcore twenty minutes on on energy and where we're at. I mean, we could we could we could spend an hour and a half on that. Um, but and 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 weaving too. I want to keep in the um, at least in terms of what I think my headlights have in in the in in the in the future as opposed to looking backwards you know like a lot of people macro tourists wake up and they say well this is going on because it already happened it's much more useful to say okay we could have a quad four deflation of the things that i'm long by the middle of next year because that's when i have quad four hitting that's very bad for commodities okay just so that everybody has that but you know the answer to that's going to be mmt and and i know you think about that but you know, just let's start with gold and where you're at, because I know you're thinking about next year. So am I. I'm currently short gold, as you, as I think you probably know. Um, in my vernacular or in our framework, we love gold in quad three stagflation, and we are short gold in quad two when real rates are rising, both nominal um, and real growth is is accelerating. So that's that's where I'm at now. As I could change that position, and I do frequently, but that's next year. I'm quite interested in getting long gold. So when you said that, I think that's your timeline. Um, you know, my uh, two years perked right up. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think we're we're probably both looking at gold and, and potentially being long for for actually quite different reasons. The the numerator and the denominator, right? So, so um, you know, when when most people think about gold, particularly in very short terms, you're talking about the dollar move, right? You're, yep. you're, you're really talking about about real interest rates uh, in any currency as measured against gold. Right. And, and that's what, you know, Wall Street trades, uh, that, that's what, you know, again, if you, if you, if you, uh, if you take, you know, very short time intervals, you know, the, the inverse, uh, you know, gold and real rates are, are almost one for one, or at least if you, you know, screw around with the axis on both sides. Right. So, um, but, but, but that's all, again, that's very cyclical and that's, that, that's very real rate driven. Uh, you know, the reason I'm actually, uh, looking at, at gold is, is, you know, going back to all the energy things, uh, that we were talking about. Uh, I believe that that, that structural energy story, uh, is priced almost zero into the market. Um, which, which I think is very interesting. So all you of mean, the, you mean, you mean that the energy, the oil price is not priced into the gold price? Because that's how your model works, right? So, sorry. So, so again, you've got the you've got the cyclical component of inventories, uh, your your front month prices. But if I look, you know, long down the curve, you know, five year prices for oil, uh, they they barely budged. You know, we're still right. sitting at something like sixty two, uh, you know, uh, dollars. I, I think that's on WTI. Uh, you know, these are very illiquid and, and not not great marks. But but generally, that's the same price they were in twenty nineteen, mm-hmm. right? So so we're not pricing a forward, uh, you know, oil, you know, structural change in the price. Of, of energy, uh, and that, that can be said sort of across your commodities. So all of these moves have been on, uh, been been cyclical thus far, uh, and we haven't seen that sort of structural repricing of of uh, you know of the marginal cost of energy. Um, and so so when I look at the gold price model, you know the reason why gold you know can forward look a commodity uh, you know cycle unlike any other any other commodity 
is because it has almost zero cost of storage, right? So there's no carry on holding gold. So it's one of the few commodities that has this this sort of forward looking, which is why it can correlate with, say, you know, 10 year, uh, you know, the, the effect, you know, the real interest rate um, expectations priced in 10 year tips. Right. So so it correlates very well because it's one of the few commodities that is extremely forward looking because it has no cost of carry. So so when I look at that that fundamental marginal cost uh, side of gold, the forward looking side, I see no structural repricing, uh, the same as the oil futures curve. We've seen no structural uh, repricing. Yet, yet there's two things that are happening. One is, is, you know, because we've moved into this very heavy central planning world where, you know, where every government is can, can continue to stimulate, uh, stimulate, uh, either from the fiscal or monetary side. Um, you know, I, I just don't believe that there's that, that in the last, you know, the, the, um, you know, we're going to have to produce more, 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 uh, more energy, uh, which is going to, which is going to have to incentivize, uh, these, these energy producers, uh, for, for their capex. So, so that's not yet priced in the markets. Everything that we've seen so far in commodity volatility has been cyclical or, you know, transitory. Um, but, but we will start seeing the structural, which is why I believe gold price moves regardless of, of the dollar. Now, of course, these have very strong feedback loops, right? I mean, uh, the same reason why energy prices structurally rise is the same price, you know, same reason why we're going to have, you know, uh, inflation structurally rising. Uh, so, so, you know, that, that will then, you know, play into those, those, uh, forward real rate expectations. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so I'd say my story for why I believe gold is going up, uh, that that's actually more of a structural, uh, uh energy story. And we haven't talked about the energy transition and pricing carbon, uh, which, which I think, you know, we should, we should spend a couple minutes on. Um, but that's where I actually see uh, gold price rising, uh, into a new range, uh, is when we start pricing structural energy, uh, and carbon externalities, uh, with, within the energy complex. Yeah, which is, uh, 100% consistent with, you know, the, the founding principles of gold money when you guys founded that, and you know, how you've always thought about it. It's your process, it's your framework, and it's scientific. It's not, you know, again, you know, lick your finger on evaluation or this versus that, which I love, man. I mean, you, you, there are very few people out there that are consistent and stay true to their process that they built, right? Nobody, nobody's rebuilt your process for you. So it's, it's very interesting to see you, you know, transform here your view relative to the transformation we've seen in energy prices. I mean, that's, that's, that's the, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's always the number one thing for most things you look at, is it not? Yeah, that, that, that's, that's completely it. And, 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 and in many ways, you know, I've, I've bet my career on, uh, <laughs> on this process because, you know, the, the you know, the business I've built now, uh, ABEX, uh, is, is, is very specifically, you know, I started this four years ago expecting this energy process to happen. Right. So th this is exactly what what I thought was was yeah. problematic is market structure in, in global natural gas. Uh, we don't have good price signals in, in LNG. Uh, and so so that, that and I believe LNG will be far more important than oil, uh, you know, going forward past about 2030. Uh, you know, LNG uh, will be the, the balancing of global energy, just as we're seeing now. Uh, and as oil sort of you know, starts, it starts a bit of a structural decline uh, through, you know, through, the, through the, the transition of the of the auto fleet. So. So, yeah, I mean, my, my process, you know, everything is energy. <laughs> and, uh, and and that, that, that's where always where I start. How about um, you know, the, the human side of energy? I mean, we have, um, I just finished reading, and it took me forever. Man, that, that book is a tough slog for somebody like me. Uh, Vaclav Schmiel's book, you know, the, the, uh, the Civilization of Energy, I think it's called. Um, I don't know if you read that, but a good, uh, good Canadian from Manitoba. Uh, but again, there, there's, the, there's the human cost of energy that you know, we often you know, disregard or discount. 
And that, you know, if I close down China and take the USA where labor's going, I mean, that's not, that, that cost curve, that component of the cost curve is what my question is about. What do you think on that? Could be gold, could be energy, anything. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's the part that we, we haven't talked about is, is how these commodity uh, prices and volatility affect uh, you know, affect labor, and and, and particularly yeah. when you're talking about uh, you know the frontline you know supply chain workers, uh, you're, you're talking about you know very you know this is not uh, you know a uh, discretionary you know consumer basket you know most of their you know their version of inflation is going to be commodity. So so that again that's a positive feedback loop into the system. You know if if you uh, you know pay somebody to stay home uh, and and then order on Amazon. Rather than working in that Amazon warehouse, uh, you know, you're going to have supply and demand issues on both sides, right? Um, but but that's you know that's just in the West. But if you look at uh, really what happened, you know, the story of you know 2000, uh, you know 2010, you know was was the great urbanization in the middle class of uh, you know particularly China, but but across emerging markets, um, and 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 that's where uh, you know that story really started to break when you started seeing commodity inflation uh, in in, uh, in 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 2008 2009. Um, it, you know, it was really Chinese inflation uh, and, and constraints that sort of, you know, uh, that, that changed changed the, the rest of the world, and, and that's going to happen again here. So, so you know, the other story in commodities, uh, the other structural story in commodities that, that's quite important, uh, I believe, is you know, we, we've seen deflationary forces from from uh, energy and labor uh, for almost 20 years from China, right? So it's it's not just Chinese labor; it's the combination of Chinese labor and, and cheap Chinese coal. Uh, and, and one of the reasons why so many commodity producers uh, have not been able to deliver great returns to shareholders is there continues to be, a, a, you, know, a, a, you know, an infinite supply of, of, of cheap emerging market, um, uh, you know, marginal marginal supply, which is not pricing uh, a lot of externalities like uh, like their emissions problems. You know, forget carbon for a second, even SOX and NOx and just, you know, traditional, uh, you know, traditional emissions. Uh, you know, the, you know, and so a Western producer uh, is still, you know, held to the same price standards as that marginal, uh, that marginal supply of, of labor, uh, at, you know, that doesn't have environmental externalities. So, so again, I, I see a world that that whole thing is changing. Uh, the whole model and the way we price commodities is going to uh, is going to change, uh, both for geopolitical reasons uh, as well as supply chain issues. Uh, so, so again, like I, I just see nothing but structural inflation, uh, you know, uh, coming down the coming down the pipe here. Well, on, on and, and and just to take that another step further on on what next year could look like because it's already trending that way. Um, before and then we'll get to other people's questions because they're very good um, and piling up here. Uh, what's more dangerous? Uh, American style MMT or Chinese communism for inflation next year? Um, uh, <laughs> I don't. I, I think I used this this word last year on 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 uh, on the summit. But uh, you know, what, what's the difference these days? <laughs> I mean, our our uh, uh, you know our, our fiscal and monetary stimulus. You know, we, you know we're moving to a gauze bank, you know, gauze plum, you know, type system anyways, even in the West. So you know, we need you know, I, you know, I personally believe we need. Far more decentralization in the banking system. Uh, we need, you know, far more uh, distributed wealth, uh, both both in uh, both in real income as as well as you know financial income. Uh, and and you know and, and all all we're doing is we keep consolidating more and more, which makes us more reliant on a monetary uh, and you know green new deals and etc. Uh, so so again, you know, we're, we're becoming the same economy. It's 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 an amazing thing to watch. It just you know fractally manifests to the same road. And um, 
again, like I love that asymmetry on the long side of commodities, and it has been currently, is that you know, nobody knows what the, what the actual answer is going to be. But we do know what their behaviors are going to be. You know, he's going to be, she, she's going to be a communist, and she, I think, will be yelling, and two she's, and Lyle Brainerd are going to be MMT. I mean, that, that's, that's, to me, a pretty, um, a pretty easy one. Unfortunately, I think we need to have a stock market collapse and economic crisis for them to go full-blown MMT. I don't know if you agree with that or not. Yeah, I, I think, well, well, I mean, these, these elections, uh, these midterm elections next year are, are going to be very, very important, right? I mean, that, that, that's really where, where a lot of this, uh, you know, policy gets decided rather than, than presidential elections. So, um, you know, you know, clearly we're, we're going to be probably, and I, I probably shouldn't, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, sort of, you know, armchair, uh, you know, from in the, in the political realm. There's probably much people, people much better at that. But, uh, you know, clearly, you know, the, the political, uh, situation is that everyone wants to stimulate. You know, I, I just don't see anyone dialing that back unless there's actually a capacity constraint to do that, uh, which is which is why looking at commodities is so so important. Uh, that, that that's the one place where where again you're going to change elections. Uh, you know, if if you see you know very significant commodity inflation, and that's going to have to change the narrative completely. Well, that's you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't shortchange yourself there, man. The difference. Uh on an education between somebody who's metallurgically competent and somebody who's a politician is pretty wide. So let's um, let's be clear on that. You don't need much of an education to be a politician. Uh, and hopefully all the politicians are triggered by that while I go to the queue. All right, let's go. Uh, first question here. I love that. I, I just, I, I'm not I'm not a fan of politicians. And that's, let me give, find this question. I think it has to do with the super cycle. Yep. Um, Luca from Italy. I love our, our audience being as global as, as it's become. I'm quite humbled by that. Um, everybody should be following Josh. Crum on Twitter, by the way, too. That's that's a great way to expand Hedge Eye Nation. Uh, he's asking, how much of the upside in energy has already been realized? Would you say that the real super cycle for commodities will commence later this decade, arguably, arguably post a market crash, which is basically what I'm alluding to when you get MMT? Um, or, or is this primarily composed of you know, what we're seeing right now? Well, well, this, uh, again, what we've seen the last few weeks, particularly in, in, in Europe uh, and, and Asia, um, is the sort of this is the starting gun, right? This was the wake-up call for commodity producers that you know, wait a minute, you know, we're, we're probably not going away like you know, like like all the fund managers that divested us, you know, um, you know, told us in the last couple of years. Um, and and so so yeah, so we're so, not going away, guys. <laughs> we got to come back. <laughs> So, but, 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 you know, again, at the end of the day, you know, it is generally a very conservative engineering culture. Uh, and that's actually why I, I made the call for $5 copper at, at Goldman at the time was to wake everybody up. You know, I actually had a, a breakfast with, you know, the CEO and CFO of Freeport, uh, you know, in, in 2009 coming out of the financial crisis. And they weren't restarting any mines despite Chinese massive stimulus. And so I was, you know, so, so we needed a wake up call and, and that's what price signals do. So, so we, you know, this is the starting gun, but like I said, it's, it's not priced in the forward markets. Uh, and, and it will be, you know, as, as, you know, as we start seeing it next year. Good. All right. Here's my favorite question. It's, it's not number, it's not number one. It's like number four, but I'm going to go to it because selfishly I need to know the answer because I'm long it and I don't know shit about it. Uranium. What do you think about uranium? Yeah, I mean, that one, I'll have to admit, even though I'm, you know, come from the Canadian, you know, sort of, you know, mid-cap space, um, probably one of the only, uh, uh, you know, Canadian mining guys that just has never really uh, put a lot of thought into uranium. But, you know, clearly the, the shutdown of, of nuclear capacity 
uh, again, plays into the same uh, same same uh, story. You know, we want to like you know we want to you know increase demand for electrification in our, in our grids, uh, and, and we also want you know low carbon emissions. Uh, you know, I, I still believe that nuclear has got to be a big part of that. Um, and so so yeah, uranium uh, you know should be a part of that story as well. Uh, here's a good one. I, I, now that I'm cherry picking uranium and. Um isn't it weird that both you and I, like, uranium's kind of like at the bottom of my list, but now it's like in terms of breakout signals, it's at the top of my list, so i got to figure that out. Um, uh, Mark and Banff, so I'm cherry-picking. I love the Canadians. Josh and I love the Canadians. Uh, hey, Josh, I'm wondering if you can give us a bit of an update on, on ABXX and, 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 and what you have going on there. Thank you. I should have asked you for one as well. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I come on these shows to talk about macro. I think that's what your your listeners yeah. want, want to talk about rather than. No, I, I think people are really. I mean, somebody who puts like skin in the game and bets their whole career basically on what's already happening. I, I mean, that's we need to update on that. I mean, what what else are we going to talk about, Elon? <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, I, I have a vision for the way the commodity, like how we fundamentally change uh, the way that we price and trade commodities. Uh, again, I start with natural gas because I think that's going to be the most important uh, global price signal uh, geopolitically and economically, you know, probably for the next couple of decades. Uh, so, so we start with natural gas. But the second part of that uh, is, is, you know, you know the, the, the energy transition and the decarbonization, you know, that, that, that is game on. Like, I, I just don't think politically we're, we're going back on that. So, so, you know, the fact that we, you know, we absolutely need natural gas to place, you know, displace Chinese coal uh, and Indian coal, you know, to start um, means that, you know, we're going to have to offset uh, th those molecules and, and the, the, the carbon emissions coming from that. So I also see a structural growth uh, in, the, in the carbon offset market. Uh, and this is not the cap and trade schemes that you see in Europe, which is probably already you know, covering about 40% of, of uh, European emissions. And now with Chinese uh, cap and trade schemes, you know, we're probably somewhere around 20% of global emissions are now in some sort of carbon pricing regime. But the global international, you know, uh, molecule, you know, on the water that's going to bridge all of these energy systems uh, is liquefied natural gas. Mm -hmm. And that's going to need a global market for voluntary carbon offsets. Uh, so, so we've been investing very much in the, the you know, the, the, the technology story of how we uh, trade uh, commodities. And we're also uh, investing in uh, in the voluntary carbon markets and how that will start being priced into commodities. Uh, and 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 so so I guess one thing that, that's important for uh, you know for your listeners, you know, we have a market in voluntary carbon offsets that's sort of sub one billion dollars right now, uh, and it's probably headed to about hundred billion by the end of the decade. Mm -hmm. There is very few commodities that go from zero to hundred billion dollar markets, you know, <laughs> in, in, in the span of a decade. So uh, I think you're going to see a boom uh, in, in sort of decarbonization projects uh, like we've never seen in, in capital markets. Uh, so I've been investing in, in both the, uh, the market structure uh, for, for LNG and carbon uh, as, as well as uh, upstream carbon projects. Yeah, I mean, as you've often reminded me and, and others that have paid attention, I mean, it's, it's LNG is the last unbenchmarked commodity. So, you know, like this is the point. You know, if you're going to bet your everything you got on something like your own company, which I got some uh, experience with. That's that's a good that, that's been a great bet, and and good luck with the rest of that bet. On on the, here's some qu some questions on on this uh, EU carbon credit crap. You know, um, do you? <laughs> this is a simple one. Okay, this is just say whatever you want to say about this. You, you alluded to talking about it anyway. Uh, Ed says, do you think the EU carbon credit price will continue to increase in the face of stress in the EU energy markets? Uh, yes, I, I, well, I mean, again, I, I'm not, a, I'm not in the, you know, three months, six months, nine month forecasting game anymore. But, but in general, there's going to be pressure on, 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 on the EU 
you know, the ETS uh, prices because of the substitution of, of fuel oil uh, into the mix of burning, you know, basically burning petroleum project uh, products to, to to cover the short in in coal and gas uh, means that there's going to likely be uh, a lot more demand for for uh, for emissions credits because of that. Um, so so I, I would say again, there's structural pr- uh, pressure here because you know any hydrocarbon will do uh, when when you're facing uh, you know a, an absolute energy shortage. Yeah, I, I have to be careful sometimes. You know, as you know, I, I have institutional clients and I have family offices and individual clients. But certain in, institutional clients are whole hog ESG, right? So um, that, there are questions of surrounding that. But I, I wonder, you know, it's one thing to have a policy that creates unintended consequences, and then there's another thing to try to fix it or not. Like, like where where do you stand on ESG and the future of it? Well, well, I believe that, that market-based solutions. Uh, again, I, I think there's been a cultural shift that's not required by you know a minority you know environmental group putting pressure on politicians. I think that's changed. I think I think the market is now demanding uh, demanding yeah. this, you know, regardless of what the politicians do. And that's a very important change, right? So so now rather than being forced into it, we spent the last year, uh, at, you know, probably year and a half, you know, pretty significantly through this pandemic of every you know major uh, industrial looking at their carbon footprint and we're likely going to start having you know coming out of cop 26 uh you know uh early early next month we're gonna probably start having schemes for disclosing carbon uh on, on all, all products you know very much like you would you know you know calorie content on food so so you know the there's sort of the big mckenzie study phase has been rapidly underway uh and then that's going to start you know being implemented in markets over the next couple of years so again that, that's where i see the structural price inflation uh and, and one thing we haven't talked about is is gold <laughs> you know, almost at all this keeps happening um but you know where i specifically you know the trade that i've put on in gold um is is actually you know how how we carry you know, again i don't think any of this structural inflation is being priced in commodity markets yet uh and so the way i'm going to play that um is is being long gold because it can forward look uh you know into a price you know carbon pricing regime uh and, and i would say that that probably adds at, at least 10 percent even even in the the 2050 uh sorry the 2030 uh, targets um for you know 50 percent uh reduction of carbon you know, you're probably adding five to ten percent uh in the price of gold uh, just through decarbonization efforts uh and if so if you can forward look look that with almost no carrying cost um i want to be long the commodity into that repricing right yeah. and so and what's the best way to do it um for me rather than just sitting in a vault uh i'm actually lending gold into the supply chain uh, so, so a friend of mine runs a company called Kilo Capital, uh, you know, which, which you know, came, came out of a former uh, uh, bullion bank that, that you know, no, no longer does this you know, real economy lending business. Um, and so, so, uh, so he'll lend gold into the supply chain so I can earn a yield on a gold loan. So I want to, you know, I want to both get a yield that I can't get in a bank account in any fiat currency, uh, but also uh, be able to get that structural repricing. So, so that, so that's a trade that I put on uh, in, in, you know, in, in, in sort of what I call, you know, carrying gold through the looking glass, right? Like when we actually start pricing a different world rather than the backward-looking world, um, you know, that, that's 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 how I, uh, you know, that's how I price gold through the looking glass. Well, I mean, it, the looking glass for me are the quads. So if I get out of quad two, which is inevitable, um, just like anything else that's cyclical, you know, the to your point that you made before, which is a point well taken. You know, you get either into the structural component of gold, plus you get the cycle behind you. I mean, you're really, it, this last opportunity to buy gold is going to be when I'm, like, I think when I'm shorted. I'm, I'm humbly submitting 
just that our batting average is better than bad on that. So um, we'll see. Um, but next year, I mean, it's it's like a, a, with with what you've said, eyes are wide open on that. And I guess last question, I mean, and if you don't you don't have a view, I mean, as soon as you start talking bullishly like you have and structurally on gold, people want to find, okay, where's he at on silver? So we have a couple questions on that. Do you have a view on that? Yeah, again, the energy, the, the structural energy story and the carbon story is not priced into any commodities. So, right. so um, you know, so if you're looking like, okay, so how do you play that, right? You don't want to carry a bulky commodity. You know, is it one year in the future? Is it three years in the future? Uh, you know, that you know, th there's a big carry to, to make that trade. So of course, people, you know, will, will generally invest in in producers. So okay, so what's their relative position on the cost curve when you structurally reprice energy, which is going to have effects on currency, and you structurally replace carbon? You know which which producers do you want to be in? Uh, so so that, that that that's you know I don't want to give any specific recommendations, but that's the way you should probably think about it. I mean it's like you, you um, I, I was saying this yesterday to Mike Green. Your your innate ability to simplify the complex. I mean, that is like first of all, you have to have a lot of knowledge to be able to do that. And people that don't have that knowledge, like you do, Josh, just can't explain it. They just they confuse people, right? But again, when you take like gold, or you said your answer is pretty much going to be the same thing for for anything that has no cost of carry and is going to have structural repricing. That's it. That's all I have to remember. I mean, unless you unless unless I need to make it more complicated. Then I just gotta get my 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 God forbid bad words for, for I am still in the business of market timing. Um, <laughs> I got a time getting out of the short side, right? But I mean, suffice to say, it's actually been a very good thing to be on the uh, not long silver this year. It's been one of the worst places you could be against a lot of other commodities. But again, you know, this is uh, this. I think you gave people an awesome roadmap, man. Like um, if this plays out the way that the last one that you made on Hedge TV plays out. I mean, I, by the way, his ticker, some of you are asking, it's ABXX in Toronto. That's why he's in, um, I think that's why you're in the Muskokas, right? You're not just hanging out in, around Toronto, right? Is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we're, we're, we're building a new commodity exchange that's, that's taken about three to four years in regulatory work. So we've got all of our regulatory approvals. And once we actually start trading, uh, you know, likely this spring, um, then, uh, then we'll probably go on NASDAQ. But for right now, we're, yeah, we're hiding away in the Muskokas. That is a that's a damn good place to hang out. And it was good hanging out with you, man. Good to see you again. Yeah. Thanks, Keith. He is the Josh Crumb. Like, talk about knowledge, like education. I just got one. I love that. Up next, we got Joe Calhoun. Thanks for listening to Real Conversations brought to you by Hedgeye. Don't forget to check out Hedgeye.com to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. And check us out on Twitter at our handle, at Hedgeye. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedge is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye subscribers and the authorized recipients of the contents. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the terms of service at hedgeye.com slash terms of service.